Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Praise the Lord, everybody. Good to see so many smiling faces, and some are returning. Amen. And um, I, uh, I felt... Uh, a couple of weeks ago to maybe teach in a different direction, different vein or venue tonight, maybe not so much um, addressing a current situation, but obviously uh, anything in the, in, the, in the Word of God certainly can. If you got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the book of James. Chapter 1, who wants a blessing tonight? Amen. Amen. I told Sister Simone I have enough notes for three weeks, so we'll see what happens. Just really kind of crazy. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Here's your blessing. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation tell your neighbor here's your blessing for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him some of you can quote that scripture right because it's important let no man say verse 13 when he is tempted I am tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man but every man, tell your neighbor, that's me, that's me, is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. I want to talk to us tonight about the attack of temptation. I want to maybe approach it from a different angle. A little story in Britain, after World War II, there was a tremendous economic drive to boost the English post-war economy. They needed to build up the export of their consumer goods. Well, there were lots of great materials were being produced in post-war England. Specifically, they were making a lot of china and pottery and clothing materials. And these consumer goods they were all being manufactured on the little island uh, of Britain, and they were being sent abroad to help restore the nation's financial situation throughout the world. The sad part to all of this was that the people of Britain never saw any of these goods. They worked very hard to manufacture them, and then they just disappeared overseas. And occasionally, there was uh, the, possib the possibility to buy one of these particular items that were being sold overseas. What they would call this, they called it an export reject. And so the rejected object wasn't good enough to be sent overseas for selling, and it was found to be faulty in some manner, and so it was released to the home market in England. The British people 
having been starved for these domestic goods for so many years, would almost fight over the opportunity to purchase these faulty and damaged articles. They were happy just to possess an export reject, and according to the reports, they paid tremendously high, high prices just to obtain it. The truth is that a lot of Christians treat their walk with God in a similar way. We become content to have an export reject type of Christian life. What I'm talking about, I'm talking about people that know that within their walk with God, within their relationship, there are a lot of faulty areas. But they are living on the assumption that this is all that is available to them. This is just the home market goods. It's all I can be. I can't do anymore. I mean, after all, we are all just sinners, right? The so-called experts tell us that Americans do church differently than other people. They tell us that Americans tend to base their Christian behavior on the type of church that they attend. They tell us that if the church is social, people develop a real social pattern of living. They're, they spend a lot of time together. If the church is worldly, then the standards are very low and easy, and Christian life is a, becomes indistinguishable from that of the world around them. Now, I, I thought of that as I read that, and I thought, living hope without a doubt. It's got to be a holiness church. People look at us, and they always talk about our standards. They always talk about our great stand for truth and how we preach, right? And, and we know this, right? Holiness is never easy, and truth is becoming rarer and rarer in the hour we live in. But if what these experts are telling us is true, that we tend to only live up to the standard that is set by the church that we attend then the reality is that we're not far off from the rest of the world. If you attend Living Hope and you only live to the standard that is set by pastor for leadership, then you're probably condemning yourself to a quality of Christian life that is unsatisfactory both in your eyes and in God's eyes. Because the church has to have a standard. But the Word of God sets an even higher standard, right? And so anything that comes short of the mark that is set by the Word of God in your life or in my life, that would be considered a reject. It's not something that you would want to sell to someone else. And so the Bible talks a lot about the subject of temptation and Christian behavior. And I want us to look at some of these things tonight. I, I, I want to I talk about temptation and what what it really means because the Bible tells us that there's a blessing to the man that endureth temptation. And I've got some things that I want to share with you about temptation. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Most of you could likely quote this verse. John is writing to the New Testament church and he says, All that is in the world, everything is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The NIV says it this way, this way, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The New Living Translation says it this way, the world only offers craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world 
world. What does all that mean? Well, if you come to church more than 20 minutes, you probably have heard a lesson about or a sermon about the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, right? But I've learned a couple of things, Brother Phillips, that after a few years, I've learned that temptation just never lets up. In fact, I got two basic realities. They, I'm sure they don't apply to you. They only apply to me. I'm sure you're much more spiritual than I am, and you, you probably, you know, maybe, maybe the Holy Ghost was different if you got it later than me. In 1984, the Holy Ghost maybe had some, some subtle issues there. I'm not sure what's going on. But, but I, 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 for me, temptation is just as strong and just as subtle today as it was in 1984. Almost 36 years ago when I got the Holy Ghost. And, and somehow in my, in my little uh, crazy thinking, I imagined a couple of things when I was younger. I, I imagined that when your children you know, made, made it to 18 and they were legal age, you didn't have to worry about them anymore. Wrong, 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 wrong. And, and I imagine that just because you have the Holy Ghost and you go to church all the time, the temptation would become less and less and less wrong, wrong. I mean, terribly wrong. I, I just somehow, you know, I, I had an uncle that told me, you know, he told me, he said, listen, he said, old age did more for me than religion ever could. He was telling me that as they got older, that those temptations just, he didn't have the energy to chase the things he chased when he was younger. He, he made it plain. He, he, but, you know, so that, that basic idea, that, that ideology that somehow because I'm a Christian, because I go to church, that temptation is not going to affect me is just not true, at least for me. The second thing that I have put in my cap or put under my cap for the, for me to just understand is that I am basically just as weak now as I ever was. Say, so now, now wait a minute, man. You, you can, no, no, I am just as weak now as I ever was. I'm just as prone to failure today as I was 36 years ago. I, I can lift up my nose in the air and pretend that I'm something that I'm not, but the truth is I'm just as capable of denying the Lord Jesus Christ as Peter did. That's a hard reality, and some of you are going, nah, you know, I, Peter, you know, he didn't have the Holy Ghost yet, you know. I, I'm just telling you, for me, but the words that Jesus spoke in John chapter 3, verse 6 are still true today as, a, as, as they were 2,000 years ago. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And if Brother Roberts were writing that, I would add a couple of adjectives to it. If I were writing this, I would, say, uh, I, I would say it this way, that which is born of flesh is still just flesh. I, I might say it, that which is born of flesh is still just stinking flesh. And it always will be flesh. The reality that I have come to realize is that I can work on my flesh and I can put a lot of effort into it and I can try my best to improve it and I can educate it and add some social graces and all of that. My wife has worked on that for a long time and it's, she's done a great job. None of it's sticking, but... But when it's all said and done, it's still just flesh. And in the words of our great bishop over three decades ago, you still need to pinch that stuff because it's just flesh. 
Romans chapter 8, Paul said it this way. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And that's the truth. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. Every one of us are going to come to this realization at some point, sooner or later. Most of us are going to come later. Some will come sooner. But any one of us who attempts to please God in the flesh are just fooling themselves, and they're destined to live a life that's a reject export. What do, you, what do you mean by that? I mean that everything, all of those good works that you're doing, if you think you can please God in the flesh, they're just going to pass away. They're just going to be put on the market for someone else to consume. And so I came to this realization that there are three real basic possibilities, re, three basic actions or reactions to us when we realize the fact that we still just live in this crazy flesh. One, we can accept the situation as it is and be content to live a life of failure and defeat. And there are plenty of people that come to church like that and you can see them every time they come in the doors. They need a revival. They need a word from God. They need something because they go from high to low and low to high and high to low. And the, that, that cycle just never stops because they have not learned how to endure temptation. The second way that people react to this is they struggle, they fight, they resist the flesh. Maybe they learn some crazy mental gimmick or get some psychological technique, none of which will ultimately work. But that's how they, they just kind of struggle and they fight and they, they pretend like everything's all right and they're manufacturing the goods. They're putting out the Christian life. They're going through the daily work. But the reality is they have not learned how to overcome temptation. The third reality that, and likely the only one that will work is we turn to God's word and find the answer to this problem for temptation. James taught it to us as we read he said, let no man say when he's tempted that I'm tempted by God because God cannot be tempted by evil and he can't tempt anyone. I, I want you to, just as we kind of unwrap this a little bit tonight, I want to show you that this, this idea of temptation, this lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of the life, it's really a pattern that's laid out through Scripture. And it really is, it's just, the, it's just, it's the only trinity that I can really find in the Bible. It's a, it's a satanic onslaught. It's, it's a nonstop strategy. It's, it's a formidable plan, and it's designed to create temptation for all of humanity. Uh, I would not, I, I want to do it justice and tell you that this is really the only plan that the devil has. When it comes to temptation, it's the only pattern of attack he has. But really, the reality is he doesn't really need a better plan of attack because this one works so well. And so when we start talking about temptation through the ages, they come along these same lines for every person. And so we can think of it in these terms. We can think of it this way. The lust of the flesh is the consuming passion to do. Uh, when I've got the lust of the flesh, I'm, I've got to do something. I've got to be involved in it. The lust of, of the eyes is that compelling urge to have something. I've got to get that. I've, I need that. I want that. And the pride of the life is a, is a constant thrust to be something. I've got to be something. And so these basic, these basic threefold pattern of temptation, the, it's a constant dynamic in our world to do, to have, 
and to be. And they're linked together with the basic human desires that every one of us have in our life. Passions, possessions, and pride. It's subtle the way the devil does this. He just seems to have something for everybody. One person in this room might be more susceptible to one area than another. There are those in this room that the lust of the flesh, that, ne- that need to do something that is, that is wrong, that could be so distasteful to you that you would never consider that. And those lines, uh, you, would never fall, uh, you would never fall victim to that. The, you know, you're a law keeper. You're not a rule breaker. Others in this room, not so much. You pride yourself on being a rule breaker, on being a law breaker, right? And, and yet at the same time, the, the, the same person could be really susceptible to the lust of the eyes, that overwhelming desire to have or possess something. They could never be a rule breaker. They could never be a law breaker, but they've got a desperate, dark need to have or to get. And yet there is, again, others that are easily drawn out by the pride of life and the urge to be something, the longing for position, that love, that desire to have power. And all of these, they work in concert one with another. And it may be that, well, you're not affected by the lust of the eyes, but the, the pride of life may be that primary focus that entraps you, that ensnares you. The Bible gives us a great description of this in Isaiah chapter 14. The description of Satan's fall from heaven. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 17. The Lord is speaking to the devil. He says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Notice what he says. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon also upon the mount of the congregation of the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And now God responds to Lucifer and says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms? that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed cities that opened not the house of his prisoners. We can read that, and and I encourage you to go back and spend some time on that passage of Scripture. But as we read that, we can clearly see the urges that produce this threefold pattern of temptation. Five times the words, I will, are written. They're spoken in the heart. In verse 13, he he says to Satan, he says, For you have said in your heart, Can I make a point for someone tonight? Temptation always begins in the heart. It really is a heart issue. It tremendously beyond compare. And say, well, I I don't say this and I don't say that. Well, listen, it's not so much about what you say. It's what really starts to happen in the heart. In both Psalms 14.1 and Psalms 53.1, we find the psalmist David says the same thing. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The the reality is the fool is going to speak to himself, not verbally, not in communication, not in a crowd, not to another person, but it always begins internally. It always begins in a place where others cannot see. 
And so tonight, if you're, if you're dealing with the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life, I would, I would without, without any hesitation, tell you that something is going on in the heart. It is a heart issue. But David responds in Psalms 119, verse 11. He says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I know that the people of God understand this principle. They understand what really is happening is that the only thing that defeats temptation is the Word of God. And so just because you don't verbalize it doesn't mean that temptation is not at work. And so temptation and truth, they're both attitudes of the heart, and they ultimately lead to these patterns of life. So for the next few minutes, I want to take some time and look at these three specific lusts that are, that are going on in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, the devil says, I will ascend into heaven. This is the desire to do. And I, I, this is an overwhelming desire to do what God says you better not do. I saw somewhere the other day, somebody said that mom could, uh, mom could win an argument in four words, right? Uh, you better not do that, something like that, I don't know, right? All right? My mom would say, I'll kill you and bury you, four <laughs> words. She could pretty much stop anything, you know? When I was a young man, I had two fears, fear of God and fear of mom, right? Mom was sometimes closer and a lot handier. She, uh, your mom probably nice. My mom would slap the fire out of you. Now I've got two fears, Brother Jose, fear God and fear Patrice. And sometimes Patrice is closer and handier. Y'all pray for her because it's not right to hit your husband. I'm with you, brother. We got it. Praying for Nikki and Patrice now. Some of you ladies, I'm scared by the look you're giving me. But this overwhelming desire to do the thing that you know is not right. It's, in my words, the temptation to be large and in charge. Most of us deal with this temptation every single day. Things like this. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm the boss of me. I will do what I want to do. I'm going to do it when I want to do it. And I'll do it how I want to do it. Right? The world expresses it this way. You do you and I'll do me. They're saying, leave me alone. I got this, right? I've heard people say about men of God, well, he just puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like me. No, I'm sure he uses the other leg first. Just saying. Because he definitely walks different than that attitude. But this, this idea is that I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's really an ingrained idea. The second one I'm going to jump to, and we'll come back to these, is the lust of the eyes. And it can also be seen in verse 13. He says, I will exalt my throne. Tell your neighbor, my throne. The place where I rule. Above the stars of God. The place where I rule are going to be higher than the angels of God. This is the desire to have. It says, I'm not satisfied with what I have, or I'm not satisfied with where I'm going, so I will. My will is more important than his will. That third temptation is the pride of life, and it's in verse 14, Lucifer says, I will be like the Most High, the desire to be. I'm not satisfied being 
the archangel. I'm not satisfied being the greatest angel. I'm not satisfied. I want to be God. And so this, you know, you can't tell me what to be. I will be whatever I decide I want to be. And, and th these are these principles. And so in order to understand these ideas of uh, I've got to do and I've got to have and I've got to, and I've got to be, right? These are the things that if we were to do the scary thing in church and truly be honest with ourselves and with each other, these are the things that we have to deal with on a daily basis. And so let me just kind of back up a little bit and start with the word lust that's used in 1 John. I'm going to try to give it to you in a different manner tonight. It simply means this. It means to have an over-desire. Literally, if you have a lust or this over-desire, it means you desire something more than is needed or more than is necessary. And so technically, an over-desire of the flesh or an over-desire of the eyes or an over-desire of the pride of life, all of these are basic and normal, natural human desires. But the enemy comes in through temptation and he creates a dynamic which makes them more than what they should be. It, it, it's a normal desire to want to do something. It's a natural desire to want to have something. Right? When you were two and you were in the nursery and that kid had that toy and you wanted it and you didn't understand political correctness or anything else, you just went in and took that toy, right? All right? And, and now that we're older, we, we still, we have found out different ways. We don't just take it and bop them over the head. We are a little more tactful about it, but we're going to get what we want, right? And so there's a desire to have something. And that desire to have something, when it becomes what makes it a lust, is, is when it becomes excessive or more than is necessary. And so the Bible calls this excessive desire a lust. And, and it's greater than what is appropriate and or what is productive. What, what are you talking about? I'm talking about that these are God-given hungers. These are desires that are built into our nature and our bodies and our personalities. And they are, according to what we read, good gifts and perfect gifts that comes down, they come down from heaven. And so Satan, in his, in his attack on God's creation, abuses these God-given qualities. And he works to mold and to manipulate your natural desire, your normal desire, into an over-desire, a lust. So that his own evil purposes can be fulfilled through our lives. Now his, his great scheme, his evil design is to make your natural desire become an inappropriate desire. His, his ideology is to make your normal desire that is productive become something that is unproductive in the kingdom of God. And so this is how the devil introduces temptation into humanity. And just as a side note, when you and I, on the off chance, recognize this is temptation, I'm being tempted, it happens once in a blue moon, probably not as much as it should, what the devil then turns that thing around emotionally and makes you feel bad because he's tempting you. He is such a creep. That's why the Bible says we're going to look on him narrowly. Squint your eyes and look, to, look, look, look down your nose at them. See, that's the pride of life, and all of y'all just jumped right in and did it. 
But this lust of the flesh, it's not wrong to do some things. Definitely not wrong to do a lot of things. But when the thing that we're doing becomes, hear me now, a consuming passion that is inappropriate or unproductive in your spiritual life, it has moved from natural and normal into a place of lust. I, I, it's not wrong, right? We, this, this particular lust of the flesh is tied to our passion. And so at Living Hope, if you've been here more than two times, you've heard somebody talk about passion. We encourage every child of God to be as passionate as they can about Jesus Christ. But what the enemy does is he wants to manipulate your flesh into an inappropriate passion for something else other than God. Now, it's not wrong to be passionate. I'm passionate about a lot of things. But I, I have to learn how to manage those passions so that the thing that I'm passionate about is not, I'm not more passionate about that than I am about God. Well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about, I don't want to slide over this way. I, I am, I, I've had a bad week, Pastor. I, I, I really have, and I, I just don't watch the news, and I, I really try to stay away from that. And so some of my well-meaning friends who are being used mightily of the devil contacted me and told me that they're finally going to change the name of the Redskins. I, I, I'm telling you, Brother James, I, I'm just, I'm a miserable person. I, I was a Dolphins fan after, after Marino left, I just couldn't handle it. So I said, if I'm going to suffer, I'm going to suffer locally. So I became a Redskins fan. And I'm just telling you, misery loves company. There's a lot of company around this place. So now somebody's offended by this logo that's been in place for 100 years. And they're upset about that. And, and I was like, okay, I can deal with that. Whatever. It's not a big deal. And then I found out that the University of Florida is banning the Gator Chomp. I, I'm just telling y'all. I, I, I had to find a place and pray through several times. I, I got into a Job issue and began to pray for my friends. Why would you tell me something like that? But I'm very passionate about those things. But those things, while they are a passion in my life, I, I work very hard and very carefully and very meticulously to make sure that those things do not become a greater passion than Jesus Christ. There are a lot of things that I love to do and that you love to do. But what happens is this natural desire, right? I, you know, you are never going to see Brother Roberts in sub-zero weather with his shirt off with any letter painted on his chest. You are welcome. <laughs> Sister Valerie got a visual and it's affected her. <laughs> Laughter is inappropriate. But understand what I'm saying. You, you, you know, that's not going to be, that's not my natural desire. I'm not going to fall prey to worshiping something, right? Or some entity or something that I do more than I'm going to worship God. Yeah. And so that may not be, but somebody in this room, whatever you're doing may be something that is so enthralling to you, so desirable to you, that you begin to worship it and it begins to conflict with your natural or your normal desire to worship God. Now, Brother Roberts, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, I do. Because I know some good living hope folk that come to church and can't get above this. Got one little tiny toe tap and a golf clap and roll their eyes every time the preacher says something. But let their ball team come on. Woo, they're tearing the house down, shouting at the TV. 
I'm just not passionate, Pastor. You a liar, liar. Your pants are always on fire. It's an inappropriate passion, and it becomes a lust. It's normal, natural for us to root for a sports team or to have something that I love to fish, but I, I'm not going to fish when it's time to go to church. I'm never, I'm not, you're not going to tempt me with that. I mean, I, maybe a little bit, but not a lot, right? I may have been accused of it, but I promise you, when it's church time, I am in the house of God. And I am thinking about being in the house of God. And I, so you understand, this all starts in the heart. So just because you're here doesn't mean that you're here. Hello? I'm talking about the lust of the flesh. i got to do something. And so the man with the anger issue is considered, oh, he's just a passionate person. But when his passion consumes him to the point he loses his temper and commits a sin, it's now become a lust of the flesh. And so this is why the Bible tells us that we can be angry and sin not. It's, it's all right to become, angry, to become angry sometimes, but we can't let it become overwhelming. And this is what lust does when it comes into our life. And this is why James said you've got to endure some of this. You've got to stand up to it. You've got to go through it. You can't lay down and let it run over you because it will consume you. Because it's going to give birth to something. And what it's going to give birth to is sin. And sin, when it brings forth, it's going to bring death into your life. It's going to give you something that's just going to be rejected and exported out of your life. And all of the good hard work you've put in for serving God is wiped away because you didn't stand up to that temptation. I'm talking about this attack of temptation. It's a continual onslaught. There, there has to be balance in your life. You've got to work to balance this, to balance work and church and family and all these things. And there's a temptation to have an over-desire in one direction or another. And you've got to recognize, like I must recognize, where it fits in my personality, where it fits in my flesh, where what I'm prone to, what attack the devil can attack me with. Because I promise you, if one attack fails, he's got a three-pronged attack. He's got an unholy trinity. He's going to roll the next thing in. He's going to bring the next thing in. And if he can get you to pull your passion back from the things of God, he's like checking the block. Checking the block. I know I've got them. And that attack will come over and over and over and over and over again. It's going to happen in your life. Why? Because it's normal and natural and productive. And then it becomes something that it was never intended to be. An inordinate desire. An unproductive desire. I've talked to some young men in this room that spend hours and hours on video games. Play a video game. But don't lose your life there. Don't get so consumed on it. Can I talk to some, to some living hopers who can't put their phone down during church? Your phone is great, but some of y'all need that little app that tells you how much screen time you got. Why? Because it's become, uh, it's become out of balance. It's become a lust now. It's over-desire. It's not natural. It's not normal. It's, it's normal to be interested in what's going on in the world around you and to check your page or to check your email or to do whatever you're going to do on your phone. I don't know what in the world you're doing. But, it, but maybe not so much in the house of God. Maybe it's kind of gone over the edge a little bit. And now it's not just a desire, it's an over-desire. Does that make sense to somebody? When my passion 
to do becomes greater than my passion for the things of God, it quickly becomes that over-desire, and it can lead to the lust of the flesh. The psalmist said it this way in Psalms chapter 37, verse 4. He said, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I began to just kind of look that up. Delight thyself also in the Lord. I, I, I said, wait a minute, this, this has got to be just kind of, it's King James English. Delight yourself also, or also kind of like additionally. Since you're going to find delight in yourself and whatever you're doing, right, get a little bit of delight in God too. And, and I began to, to look that word up and, and look in the Hebrew, and, and, and I found out it, it was talking about a delicate thing or a pleasurable thing, or a soft thing. And, and you know what? I, 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 I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. I've been on the keto diet for a long time now, a few months, and I've lost a little weight. It's just kind of plateaued. There's some good, healthy things that are happening. But I, I've began to have desire for things that I don't even like. I told my wife, this is crazy. I'm the one person in the room that does not like pizza. I don't like it. I don't care for it. You can eat pizza. We're having pizza. Woo! Everybody's like, woohoo! I'm like, nasty. I know, man. Give me a steak. I'm good. Don't, don't care for it. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm okay that you do like it. I don't. But I'm watching this TV commercial, and I'm like, I just want to drive down to Domino's and get me a $5.99 three-topping large pizza. And I don't even like pizza. What's going on here? Why? Because you're, the truth is, you're going to find you something that you delight yourself in. But the psalmist said, delight thyself also in the Lord. Make sure that while you're doing that thing that makes you comfortable, that makes you you, that, that gets your jam going with your jelly, make sure that you, while you're getting all of the peanut butter and jelly rubbed together in your goodness of your life, that you find some delight in God. Because if you're not careful, the spirit of temptation comes in and begins to tell you, man, i got to go to church. I've been home watching church on TV for two months in my fuzzy slippers, and now I don't feel like going to church. Why? Because it ain't a fuzzy slipper thing. If you bring them in here, I promise to make fun of them. I'm sorry. We have an altar, and you can ask for my forgiveness, and I might repent. But I'm telling you, this is really not about your comfort. Find some comfort in God. Find some delight in the Lord. You're going to fulfill your passions. God understands that. You're going to do what makes you happy, but find some delight in the Lord. Amen. And so lust is simply sin using your desire and my desire against us to meet its own purpose in our lives. There are two key characteristics of the lust of flesh that distinguish them from the pure and natural desires that God gives us. First of the, the first one is this, it's an evil desire. The lust of the flesh always comes from an evil desire. Lust is used in the scripture to, des to describe evil desires. Israel, the Bible talks about Israel in the wilderness. God gave them manna and they lusted after meat. They were not satisfied with, listen, somebody hear me. They were not satisfied with what God provided them and they began to complain. 
And it became a lust. And God judged them for it. An amazing story that we don't have time to dig into tonight. But think about this, that we start talking about lust and passion and all that. And, and we see in Scripture that lust is used as evil. But on the other side of that, all throughout the Bible, hunger and thirst are used to describe holy longings and an appropriate desire for God. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. What's the difference between hunger and longing and thirst and lust? What's the difference? The difference is the lust has become excessive. The lust, the lust is not just a desire. It's an over-desire, right? It, it's, it's, it's something that's become inappropriate. It's something that's become unproductive in their life. And so good people of God live the defeated life because of something in their life that's normal and natural that becomes inappropriate or unproductive. The second characteristic of the lust of the flesh is that it almost always comes with an overwhelming power and a deep irresistibility. Oh, not me. Oh, no, yeah, for every one of us. How do you know it's the lust of the flesh? It's bringing power with it. Because it's taking your own desire to an excess. It's taking what you already want and it's moving it to an unparalleled place of success and so it brings with it this irresistibility it always comes with a passion of its own what are you talking about i'm talking about how do i recognize that it's the lust of the flesh it has its own passion what, it, i mean it, it really it just seems to like it seems to just generate passion after passion after passion. Why? It's unparalleled because it's almost impossible to defeat. How do I recognize it? It's got its own passion. It's really, really hard to defeat. That means that it's a natural, normal desire that has gone to a place of excess. And it's become lust. And that lust is always going to give birth to something. And the Bible says it gives birth to sin and brings forth death. You can believe this about the lust of the flesh. We could go into stories. I could spend the entire rest of the night on this one and talk about all of the different things. But it's going to command you to do something. I'm trying to give you some attributes that help you recognize that it's at work in your life you can you can always find that it brings you don't have to lift it up you don't have to ramp it up it brings its own passion with it and it's going to tell you what to do now most of us know most of us recognize that when our hearts are lusting and longing after something but more often than not we we as adults we probably have recognized at some point and i really want that right but oftentimes we don't really recognize it when it happens and so this lust of the flesh it almost feels as if we don't get what we're desiring that we will cease to exist anybody ever been there anybody ever experienced that brother jose put this thing on slack the other day it was just wrong i mean it wasn't just like it was wrong it was wrong there were two great big glazed donuts sandwiched in between a big block of ice cream. It fell straight from heaven onto the Slack page. 
I didn't comment on it. I just sat and drooled at it. And I said, Lord, it's just creating its own passion. I, I, I knew it was the lust of the flesh because I had determined where to get the ice cream and who had the best donuts. And I, I had figured out a plan so that my wife wouldn't know that I cheated. And I'm having a little fun with this, but the truth is, the reality is, when it's the lust of the flesh, it, doesn't, it brings its own passion and desire, and you begin to dwell on it and think on it and imagine it, and oh my, and I've got to have it, and if I, I, I'm going to just choke with the Jose for putting that on there because I can't have it, and I know I can't have it. And so I had to endure that temptation. You were banned from slack for 30 days. I had to endure that it's not wrong to find delight in the things of this world, but when they become an over, when they become inappropriate, when they turn something that's good to something that's unfruitful, right? When passion leads to those things, right? That's when it becomes an issue. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 6. He said, lay up not for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt where thieves break through and steal, but lay up, build up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the moth or the rust and the corruption and the thieves can't break through and steal because he said this is a heart issue. Where your treasure is, there is your heart issue. I can always tell the lust of the flesh because it, it, it implores me to invest in some, in, in some of the wrong things or some of the worst things. It causes me to be like the man with one talent and bury my God-given talent and replace it with something else. And the result is I become an export reject Christian. And all of the goods, all of my good labor, everything that I've worked so hard to please God with is taken from me and given to someone else. Couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine, Sister Staten, working in a china factory, building beautiful china and boxing it up and sending it to somebody else and going home and my wife couldn't have nice china because all I can do is build it for somebody else. And this is what lust does to the child of God. It enslaves us to a pattern where we're doing these good works and they're being stolen and exported. They're being ripped from us and given to another place. They're gone out of our sight and we're not laying up treasure in heaven because we have got to do something. We've got, we're compelled by our flesh. Does this make sense to somebody? I'm talking about an attack. I'm talking about the devil understands exactly where you're at, and he knows exactly. He walked into that garden, and he looked at Eve, and he said, you know what? I, I don't think God's telling you the truth. And Eve said, why would God tell me a lie? And they went on, and the next thing you know, she saw that that fruit was good. And all of a sudden, it just boom. I, I've got to have that. I, I need it. I'm going to do this. Why? Because. He began to work and manipulate and go and plan. And that natural, normal desire for food became an over-desire, a lust that brought forth sin. And when it conceived, the second one tonight, the lust of the eyes. really easy for us to understand that we live in a very visual world. 
There are a lot of things that are visually appealing. The Bible says this, that the things of this world are going to pass away. But the lust of the eyes is this desire to have. The lust of the flesh is the desire to do. The lust of the eyes is the desire to have. And so when I've got to have something, it becomes so compelling and so urgent in my life to the point where it becomes that inappropriate or unproductive thing, and it becomes a lust, right? And so this particular lust or this particular desire is almost always attributed to sexual desire. And certainly it it fits very well here, but it's not just sexual desire. Exodus chapter 20, in in the Ten Commandments, the Lord addresses this. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so what are you talking about? I'm talking about this idea of the lust of the eyes. It really bases itself on covetousness. I have got to have that. You know, it's not wrong to want a new car. It's not wrong to desire a new house or even a new pair of shoes, right? But when I have them and it has created a gap, it's created an issue where I can no longer be fruitful, right? Go out and buy a a, a fancy car that you can't afford and now your family suffers. Now it's become a lust because it's an inappropriate or becomes it turns your productive desire into something unproductive. Well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the, just like the lust of the flesh. I don't, know, I don't know how I can possibly live without that thing. And so this lust of the eyes is incom- incredibly compelling. It's amazingly convincing and very per- persuasive. And it's got an urgency that it brings to the flesh. I can, imagine, uh, I can imagine in my mind that here's old King David and he walks out on his balcony and bam! Like a truck hit him. There she is, taking a bath. You talk about out of the blue, right? I mean, she's on the rooftop, he's on his balcony, right? But it was inappropriate. It wasn't wrong for a man to desire a woman. But it was inappropriate because David already had a wife and Bathsheba already had a husband. And so what happened, the natural, normal, God-given desire became an over-desire. It became inappropriate. It it became unfruitful, right? It it became a sin. Why? Because of an overwhelming desire that destroyed more than one life. And so it's natural and normal. What I'm trying to tell you is the things that we're struggling with isn't that you're going to go out and commit some murder or do some dastardly deed. It's the normal, natural things that the devil is going to use to push your desire to a place of excess, to push what you want to make it more important than what God wants. This is how temptation works. And it's not the big thing that causes you to fall. It's not the great thing that causes It's those little foxes that are eating away at the vine because I've got to endure temptation. I've got to work my way through this process. Because brothers who love brothers don't put donuts filled with ice cream on slack. It's not appropriate. 
Judges chapter 14, verse 2, Samson's words. He, 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 looks, he looks at his mom and dad. The Bible says he went, down to, he went down and saw a woman from Timoth. He sees Delilah and he says, get her for me. You can take all of that, all of that, all of that. The bottom line is in those, in those four words. Get her for me. And mom and dad said, can't you ever find a woman who's an Israelite? Can't you ever find something that's appropriate? Can't you ever find something that's right? Can't you ever find a girl that's like us or someone? And, and he said, I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to listen to it. Why? Because the lust of the eyes is at work. And the natural desire of a young man to want a young woman has now exceeded what is normal and has become inappropriate and lust was born and conceived and sin was birthed and it destroyed that man of God. It stole his position. It stole his strength. It stole his walk with God and eventually it killed him. And that's how subtle it is. It wasn't something, it wasn't something crazy. He didn't go out after a man. It was a God-given desire. We live in America and we embrace this American dream and we all want more so that we can give more, or so we say. But covetousness wants us to keep the stuff that does not belong to us. It's important. Every man, when he's tempted, he's drawn away by somebody else's lust. No, that's not what the Bible says. Every man, when he's tempted, is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. That's the part that, that happens when temptation comes. That's the enticement that makes it more palatable than it should be, that makes it more wonderful than it should be. And here we are, the children of God. And Brother Roberts got up and said, man, Temptation is just as strong as it was 35 years ago, almost 36 years ago. And some of you went, ha, 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 ha. No, no, I'm telling you the truth because it's the same in your life as it is in mine. But I got the Holy Ghost. Well, good for you. I got the Holy Ghost too, and I still fight temptation. There's, even, there's a whole one we haven't even talked about, that pride of life, that whole ideology that comes with it. I don't have time to finish it tonight, but understand with me, Jesus could only fight this, not with the Spirit, but with the Word. Why is the Word so important? Because Jesus didn't use the Holy Ghost. He didn't use the power of God to overcome temptation. He used the Word of God. What he did, because the Word of God will always bring your desire back into balance. The Word of God is a boundary and a fence. The Word of God is a protection. The Word of God was what God put in the garden to protect that man and that woman. But they stepped over that fence of the Word of God. And so temptation is a real battle. That's why you need to be in the house of God. That's why you need to have a Bible. That's why you need to read a Bible. Because the Word of God is your protection against this battle. Because the truth of God's Word will always overcome temptation. Even when the Holy Ghost he just comes alongside. He just encourages. He's just a lifter. But he will not force his will upon you or me. 
That's not how the Holy Ghost operates. He's going to bring conviction. He's going to bring, he's going to say, come on, don't do that. But you know what? When that desire becomes excessive, when it becomes compelling and urgent, and it becomes something you just can't live without, you'll step across that line. Because every human person does. But I want to expose tonight that the devil's not using something that's going to be crazy. He's using your natural, normal, everyday desires. How do I recognize the lust of the flesh? It's got its own passion. It's got its own desire. It's, it's always going to be telling me what to do. How do I recognize the lust of the eyes? Oh, I, it, it, it's, it's urgent. It's, I just can't seem to live without it. And it just, I just got to have that. But when we get that, it never, hear me, it never does what it's supposed to do. It never as good as it, you thought it would be, and it never lasts as long as you thought it would. Amen. The bottom line is this. Give me the last slide, Sister Simone. Give some hope here. The, behind every urge, behind every desire, behind the temptation and the lush is this innate passion that we have as humanity to be independent of God. Independent from God. Oh, not me, I love church. Okay? But that natural desire that becomes excessive, inordinate, or inappropriate, right? It comes from the desire in all of humanity to be independent of God. Well, I love God and I love church. I love God, I love church, but there's something inside of me that wants to do it myself. Just like my two-year-old self told my mommy, I'd do it myself. Just like your two-year-old self told your mother, I'd do it myself. There's something born in every human person that just wants to do it themselves. And this is how the attack of temptation begins because it's innate in you and the devil walked into that garden subtle sneaky and that woman was unaware and he began to talk to her and the next thing you know it wasn't some crazy thing it was the thing that had been right in front of her all her life had been there every moment of every day she was intimately aware of it and he turned her desire her 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 just just inquisitiveness into an over desire and she did what she wanted to do and she said I have to have this and she said I'm gonna be like God that's called an export reject the blessing that she had was rejected and she was moved out of the garden into a place of judgment good people of God that are living under constant condemnation because of this process. I just, well, maybe if I call pastor and tell him about it. Pastor can only give you the word of God. He can only give you the boundary and the fence. But we've got to learn how to endure. We've got to learn how to recognize that attack. 
We've got to learn how to recognize that the enemy is attacking us the same way he attacked Eve, the same way he attacked David, the same way he attacked Samson, the same way he attacked every failure in the Bible and every human being who's ever lived. If one way don't work, he flips the script. He flips the script. He's going to find a way in. And you're going to face temptation just like Jesus did. But Jesus stepped back. He said, you know what? I'm not calling down angels. I'm not, I'm not working the power of the Spirit. I'm going to use the Word of God. He gave us the greatest example. I want somebody to know that you can live an overcoming life. Of, you can be the kind of person. You can come in with your head held high. You can endure temptation because my Bible tells me He won't give you more. He's not going to give you more than you're able to resist. But i got to learn how to recognize it i got to learn that when it brings its own passion, it's not just me. There's something else at work here. I've got to learn when it's really overly compelling, it's more than just me. It's more than just, there's more going on here. And when I can recognize that and begin to realize what's going on here, I can begin to apply the Word of God. And I can learn how to delight myself. Wait a minute, no. Yeah, I'd like to have that, but you know what? All of those things that I want, they're not going to be in the hearse following me to the cemetery. They're going to be somebody else's problem because I'm going to learn how to reject that. I'm going to learn how to endure that. I'm not going to let it birth something in my life. Bow your head and pray with me. Father, every one of us is going to face temptation. Lord, I plead your blood right now, God. Help us to be wise. Give us the wisdom, Lord, to see the work of temptation when it attacks us. God, I pray tonight for everyone that's in this room. I pray for living hope, Lord, that we don't fall victim to all of this great temptation that this world is offering us, Lord. Help us to live in balance. God, I bind that spirit of over-desire. I rebuke that process, God, that comes into my heart, into my mind, that causes me to walk outside of your boundary, Lord. Help me, God. Remind me of the word when that time comes, Lord, that I can apply the word to my circumstance. I don't want to be a victim of, I don't want to be a victim of temptation and fall to my own lust, God, but I rebuke that enticing spirit of the enemy, and I release the powerful word of God in Jesus' name. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait.